Deadwood Soundwell. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Welcome to Not Safe for Network. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. Okay, so let's just start out today talking about Dexter because we said we would last week. So I watched the second episode. I also watched the first episode. I think it's a pretty solid show. I'm enjoying it. I feel like it's on pretty stable ground so far. It's been really interesting. I like they brought in Clancy Brown. Yeah, at the very (laughs) end of the episode, like clearly going to be a future bad. Yeah, and, you know, they showed he's going to be a pretty prominent character. All the stuff that, like, I kind of forgot about the show coming back, the daydream, like what he really wants to do, like stuff. The guy picks up the gun and he, like, butts him in the face, but he's really pretending to be (laughs) normal. (laughs) thought they did a good job of showing how unhinged he is in this, which is something they didn't spend a lot of shoe leather doing in the first show. Like, I think back then it was enough to just have him kill people to show that he was fucked up, right? But in this, they're playing with the fact that, like, him talking to Deb is just so unhealthy, you know? Even if it's just in his mind's eye, because I think they gave that impression when the kid was watching him, that, like, he wasn't even acting as if she's next to him. It's just literally something running through his mind, right? Like, he's not even physically reacting to it. So they're really playing up the fact that, like, he is very, very mentally unhealthy. And I think we're seeing it through various things that he's doing in this. Like, when he went off to isolation, he got worse. He did not get better, you know? Like, he might have stopped killing people for a while, but he's still not mentally capable of like sustaining a normal life or a relationship or any of that right one thing i did not like the reveal of his kid to his girlfriend and she's just like i think we should talk and then later it's just like the classic switch of like oh no this is great now we could talk about our kids again. like nobody ever says i think we should talk like that and then it's like a positive conversation yeah nobody does that dude <laughs> <laughs> that is not a thing. So that was the one. Yeah, especially like, like she's got thing. her she's got her own like issues like with uh, the kid Iris. I don't know. I I couldn't quite understand if it was like her direct daughter or just no. It's one not. of the town like the one of the native people. That kid was abandoned by her birth mother because they use that as a right, as a right, uh, right. as a way of digging at Dexter without knowing that she's digging at Dexter, which is just like, well, her birth mother abandoned her, so fuck her kind of thing, you know, and then yeah, like, Dexter like abandoned his kid, so. It was an indirect way to say, fuck you. Yeah, exactly, but like, she doesn't know that he's saying, she's saying that to him, right? Like, it's just what he's feeling, because apparently she's totally cool with this kid that she's never ever heard about just suddenly showing up. <laughs> it's weird, dude. I mean, they're at least comfortable enough with each other where they're fucking in a squad car so you know I'm just saying (laughs) there's gotta be some intimacy issues that come up as a result of that right anyway I don't have like a ton to say on the show just like I'm glad that it's in steady hands again like it's clearly the guy who ran the first four seasons you can see it on the screen you know it knows where it's going and it does a good job of that and it's balancing out the fact that he's very unhealthy yeah I don't think they always did a great job of that (laughs) in the original run the one thing I noticed when I was watching the second episode is you know he's slipping back into his old ways but 
he doesn't have the situational awareness like he did in Miami. It's way different trying to cover up murders like when you're working for the police force and then... When you're working for the police force, when you have like a whole ocean next to you to dump bodies in. To dump bodies in. And then like, plus like, you know, he's not from a cold climate where snow reveals everything. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a different situation. And it stylistically makes it better, too, because you see the drops on the snow and it's, I don't know, it just, it pops more, you know, that red against the white. No Time to Die just became the highest grossing international picture since COVID. It made $708 million worldwide. It also became the all-time highest grosser for the UK. It was just released a video on demand. So the Bond picture is doing pretty well for the fact that they had to, like, put out the trailers for how many years before it came oh, out? Like, it got pushed so many times. And it's interesting to think about what that movie could have done if it was released pre-COVID because I know they lost a lot of money. Like every day that they sat on that film, they were losing money on it. Well, the problem with Bond movies is they can never totally pay for them when they put them up. That's partly why they had to sell it to Amazon. Like they had to sell the franchise to Amazon because they would do so much in special effects and things like that, that they would get this giant budget and then they would do the cars and the watches and the clothes and the beer and the alcohol and just all of the stuff that like they get product placement on and then they would take all of that money and then they would generally take another loan just to like pay for the budget of that Bond film, right? Right. So like if a Bond film ever bombed, that would have been it. Eon would have gone tits up. And so I think that like sitting on it for the pandemic, they were probably just accruing debt from the banks, I'm imagining. Because I heard them break it down for Spectre. Like before COVID, I heard them talk about like what it takes to put a Bond movie out and just how fucking expensive it is to do one of those movies. And not to mention you're bringing in one of the biggest musicians of the time to like record, bringing in top notch actors and whoever's playing Bond always wants more and more money every time. Those budgets just balloon, you know? The music royalties on a Bond movie have got to be outrageous. Skyfall, you had Adele who was like top of the charts at the time when mm-hmm. she recorded that Madonna there I mean not top of the charts when she no, recorded no, but whatever no. but still relevant but definitely like an A list name in the music game yeah for sure Paul McCartney <laughs> <laughs> Kinda. He's in his wings, period. But they still have some hits, right? Yeah. Like they had Band on the Run. Didn't they have something about an airplane? I don't know. I don't listen to wings. Oh, they're great, dude. Once he left those other three jackasses, that's when he really started to make Well, he only left two of them. (laughs) (laughs) No. uh, (laughs) There's going to be some people pissed off at me for that one. (laughs) Patty Jenkins reportedly stepped away from Rogue Squadron because of creative differences. She could not agree on a script with Lucasfilm executives. That's the word that's So that was what actually came out. I know we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Yeah. We talked about it last week, in fact. It's not confirmed. I should say that. Jenkins representative and Lucasfilm representatives will not follow up on it. And this is probably the closest we'll get to an answer. But I have a feeling that it's pretty accurate. You know, it's just the fact that, like, she stepped away from it then. Seems weird for, like, big budget franchises to just be like, oh, I have this other commitment. I don't know. I... (sighs) 
of course I read this. It was couched in a thing of like, it's time to fire Kathleen Kennedy right now. And I'm like, all right, pump your brakes. Like, <laughs> well, I just... can tell you probably do this a lot. So uh, whatever. But to me, it might be be indicative of the other way around. Patty Jenkins has delivered two big box office movies, right? Theoretically, one would have been a box office movie anyway, which were the Wonder Woman movies. And it seemed like very few people liked the second one. I mean, I know some people did, but it seemed like most people weren't thrilled with it, right? Yeah. And that's the one she wrote. She didn't write the first one. She wrote the second one with a couple of people. So maybe if they're disagreeing about the script, like Lucasfilm was getting cold feet because they were kind of looking at what happened with Wonder Woman 2 and where they might have given the benefit of the doubt, they were like, uh, no. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I'm just I'm trying to read the tea leaves here, right? Like failure goes a long way in Hollywood. It goes way farther than success. You know what I mean? Yeah, especially if you're uh, not a man. No, absolutely. But I think you can remove this a little bit because Lucasfilm executives, that kind of boils down to Kathleen Kennedy. You know what I mean? Like she's yeah. the one in charge of that room. And so you you are talking about two women dealing with each other. So I'm just saying, like, I don't know if we can claim it on this particular thing. Although I am quick to claim it on a lot of things because it's very, very evident. But I think this might be a little bit different. I think it's just like she didn't deliver a movie that was loved like the first one, which tells people she doesn't have the golden touch. You know what I mean? And I think when they signed her up for Rogue Squadron, they probably thought she had the golden touch. Because they made that announcement and then Wonder Woman 2 dropped later, you know? So it's like, I don't know. I put it together because they dropped all that shit at the D23 thing when they like told us 10 Star Wars shows and all of that, you know? Yeah. What do you think it is? I think it's a little of everything. Don't think it's anybody being forced out or just leaving for no reason. I think that like both sides kind of have a good reason to scrap this union on it. I don't know if you talked about the... Baymax series no, coming to Disney. could not care less, but let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of am looking forward to this. I mean, I... I really, I really enjoyed Big Hero Six. I did too, but I don't feel like I need a TV show off of it. I mean, I that's fair. I'm hesitant because I, I mean, Baymax is a cute character, but he wasn't the character I was most interested in in that show. In fact, he was pretty far down the line. That's also where I'm landing too. Yeah, they did some great things with the main character on that, and then all of the uh, the other six quote heroes. So. I'll give it a few episodes to see uh, see what I really think. I actually really laughed when I watched the trailer. So Oh, I did not get that far. I was like, don't care. Didn't know there was a trailer. <laughs> In fact, we didn't even talk about the thing that I did care about last week, although I tried, but Carl kind of railroaded me, <laughs> which was like oh, the Obi-Wan and uh, Anakin show. Like, I'm definitely very interested in that one. But like, if that didn't even get time, there's no way it paid <laughs> Baymax. Um, Baymax show. I was going to say Betamax. Like, 100% there's going to be no talking about Betamax. Like, <laughs> nope, not doing it. That's the last time I say that word. <laughs> so Mel Gibson is in talks to direct Lethal Weapon 5. Richard Donner and Mel Gibson had spent 20 years developing it. Donner had said in an interview in 2020 that it would be the last Lethal Weapon movie. It's now being developed for HBO Max. So They already made this movie. I watched it on Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Right? <laughs> well, it got pulled from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, so... <laughs> Maybe it's to make room for Mel Gibson and not totally the blackface thing, right? Is that better? 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because I enjoyed those episodes, but there was no so, part. Oh, we of, you know there was they no were very part of me that wasn't like this is okay. <laughs> I knew it wasn't okay. It got pulled from everything, and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense because it's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it, but it also doesn't feel like Mel Gibson doing this is okay either. Yeah, I don't know. He's. I feel like Hollywood's just like, ah, he's fine now. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's. They're like, oh, he served his time. I guess. Like, I. I don't know. Like nobody's talking about it except for like these fucking idiots that are podcasting that we've never heard of. <laughs> so those assholes up in Montana. Yeah. Hey, what are those assholes up in Montana talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Mel Gibson, not okay. Yeah. Why does the fat one always think he's going to be brought in as a time travel doctor? Like, we are not hiring this guy for a time travel script. Just for the record, I don't write the scripts. I just let you know whether it works or not in the time travel element. And I can the fix it for you. The time doctor doctor. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The time not, doctor not, doctor. Not that time travel doctor. A time travel doctor. Yeah. Yeah. That's my job. <laughs> Have I talked about that on Not Safe for Network? Maybe I haven't. I don't. This has been an ongoing string on other podcasts we've done. (laughs) Let me just put it out there. If you're working on a time travel script, you can pay me a consultation fee and I will overlook it and I will let you know whether the time travel works or whether it's fucked up. I don't mean like actually works. I just mean for story purposes. Is there a hole in it? Is there something nerds are going to pull at? I'll look at it and I'll let you know. And I can even fix it for you. I don't want to write the plot or anything, but I can let you know the time travel mechanics. This is what I do. Have you ever heard me talk about the first Back to the Future movie? I can just really break it down for you. <laughs> I'm not going to do that right now. Just pay me my fee. <laughs> you can go back and listen to old podcasts. Are you still waiting on the Avengers Endgame royalties on that? <laughs> I did not consult on that one. That's why so many people are still trying to figure out the timeline thing and whether Steve Rogers was supposed to be on the bench or not. They didn't pay me a fee, so I just let them take the L on that one. See? This is what happens when you don't hire the doctor. Exactly. Exactly. You only get the (laughs) highest grossing movie in history. (laughs) <laughs> Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman, who wrote Smash, Hairspray, and Mary Poppins Return, wrote a song and dance number for Rogers the Musical within the Hawkeye show. Shaman said his husband is a tremendous MCU nerd and would help him with the jargon. So when he came across phrases and he was trying to rhyme things, he would be like, Tesseract, and then he'd put it into it. So we're getting a song and dance number at some point in this. You, you had to know that was happening, right? Like Rogers the Musical. Good God. I can't wait, dude, because I heard it was a number, right? It's not a show. It's a number, which means we just get a funny scene. You know what I mean? That That's all I'm willing to give. Like, that's the most ground you're going to get. Like, Well, it was one song, right? It's one song. So that tells me there might be multiple scenes, but only one musical number. You don't think that's funny? Do you not like the, the story within the story? I, I, I get it. I don't like it. we're recording this in a weird way we're recording this on tuesday and then the episode will go up on monday when i record with carl again so we thought we would save this for the end of brandon's portion so that carl can chime in and just repeat literally everything we just said (laughs) 
but probably not. I'll, I'll, I'll edit. I promise. But uh, new Spider-Man trailer dropped. Obviously, you're probably not living under a, a rock six days from now, so you probably already know. So, what was your impressions from this trailer? What stood out for you? The Sandman. Yeah, that they overtly showed the Sandman's face this time. They yeah. showed it in the first trailer, but it was done in a way where it could have been an accident. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So now we know Sandman's there. So we definitely, we got Green Goblin, like we've got um, Electro. Doc, Doc, Electro and Sandman. Seems like Dr. Octopus is working with them. I like that. Yeah. Like and basically it keeping looks. keeping his good guy turn. Yeah. And so it, I love it. We're getting all of the villains. And, you know, it seems like the best version of those villains. So I'm looking forward to it. I feel like the, with the Marvel Studios having some influence there that we're not getting the Spider-Man 3 problem. So that black costume, that looked like Spider-Man 3 black costume, right? I couldn't quite get like i'm not sure where that comes like i think it's spider-man 3 black costume i do i'm sure of it i think that they're tying in a venom thing here which would be great like i i think it's it's fun but you want to know what really jumped out to me in that trailer above everything else so remember last week when we were talking about how tom holland was saying that there's not the other spider-man in the movie and all that yeah we did not see any other spider-man so here's the thing dude that picture I was talking about where, like I said, it was Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire wearing Spider-Man outfits. They didn't have their masks on and they were against a green screen. And that's the one that like Sony pulled down. And that's when a lot of people thought they were in the movie. So they were on these like bars that made kind of like a, I, I don't even know what you call it, but it's like a construction thing. And that was prominently placed in that trailer. Like they showed it multiple times and I was just like, fuck, like there's hairs up on my arm because I'm dead convinced that that was the thing that had the green screen behind it now. I'm like 100% on board that like the other Spider-Man are in this movie now. I'm sure of it, dude. That picture getting taken down... It looks like the thing from the trailer. You done fucked up if you're trying to keep this secret, Sony. <laughs> you done fucked up. They're in it. I'm dead convinced now. Both of them are in it. I'll fucking go to the mat with that. Now, will I be upset if they're not in it in the movie? No, I won't at all. But I'm pretty sure they're in it now. Yeah, this movie looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a fucking banger, dude. Yeah. And you got Doctor Strange in it. Apparently, they're doing significant reshoots on Doctor Strange. Like the Doctor Strange movie? Yeah, I'm not worried. <laughs> I'm already having people in my ears talking about how like, well, Sam Raimi's last movie was Spider-Man 3 and like that didn't turn out. It's like, shut the fuck up, dude. He also made Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2. Like he made some good movies since then. Like back the fuck off. This is what they do. They do reshoots all the time. Yeah. Those characters are in such good hands. I'm, I'm not worried at all. Yeah. Like they they know what they have with Doctor Strange right now. Like. He's solid property. So if they saw something that needed reshoots, it probably needed reshoots. Yeah. I'm not too worried about it. No. Or it could just be they got a better idea, threw it in there. Who the fuck knows? Yeah. We will never fucking know, honestly. <laughs> We just won't know. I don't care. But uh, back to the Spider-Man trailer. I love that they had Peter and Mary Jane and uh, Ned talking to Dr. Octopus. <laughs> that was pretty fun. That was fun. Oh, 
the it was funny because I was watching it with my uh, youngest child. Uh, they had the part where like Mary Jane's falling. And we're like, no, <laughs> I've seen how this ends, and it's not good. I mean, that was Gwen Stacy. That right, but it was like the same sort of setup. You're like, you know what? I was sure they were gonna do. What's that? Have a different Spider-Man swoop in and get her. I was fucking sure of it, dude. And the fact that they cut it off there, I'm dead convinced now. <laughs> Mark my words. Mark my words right now. Andrew Garfield is going to swing in there and catch her. Or, you nope. know. Nope. Andrew Garfield. Because no, he's no, the one that he watched. He doesn't swing in. He's standing there with his walker and just like, <laughs> let's go of it and catches her. He, he gets on his giant phone. <laughs> That's like, it's also a landline and he's like trying to call his insurance company to just like take care of this. Yeah. No, uh, no, it's going to be Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man catches her. You just fucking watch, dude. That's what it's going to be. Never mind that he's close to grabbing her and he could just hit that web shooter and get her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nope. It's going to be an Andrew Garfield Spider-Man save. Am I rooting for it? Yeah. Cause now I went out on, on a podcast and said this. <laughs> That's okay. Nobody fucking listens to this who I podcast with, so you guys won't remember to call me to the mat if it doesn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the one that's got to live with it because I edit it. And I'm fine. I make bold predictions that don't come true all the fucking time. (laughs) This is where I live. Anything else jump out from that trailer? They definitely were like 100% goblins in it, right? They've been doing that with the posters, too. They just released another poster before this, and the goblin glider is closer. So it was just like, I think this was, they were like, big reveal of Bobby, here it is. As long as it's Willem Dafoe. Dude, it was his laugh. I know. I'm just saying, if it's not Willem Dafoe, there will be riots. Honest to God, dude. They're not doing that without Willem Dafoe. It's fucking the MCU. This isn't a low-class outfit like Sony. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, it's got the MCU's fingerprints on it. I mean, they had to bring back J. Jordan Jameson. That was fun that he was in the trailer, too. Yeah, Yeah. just to let you know, don't worry, JJJ is here. Yeah. I like that. The J. Jonah Jameson. You say that, but we have no other examples not in animated form (laughs) or comic book page. He was so fucking good at it. They were just like, we're not even going to touch it for the amazing Spider-Mans, you know? Yep. They were just like, hands off, like not even going to do it. We'll put it in a website. Because then they do that in the Amazing Spider-Man 2, like they have the Daily Bugle online. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, you talked about it on the podcast with Zach and me. I, I know I talked about it, but <laughs> I was, do like I, I said, I, I, was said just, I don't remember. I was just listening to it. <laughs> you 100% talked about it. And it's just like a lot of me bitching about how my little daughter couldn't make it through the movie and just started flipping the fuck out. And what was really funny about that was Zach was like trying to tell me the good points of the movie. Like we all made fun of the same things, but he was trying to tell me the good points and it was all after I left the theater. And then I watched it later and I was like, nope, still don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) This did not feel better to me. Uh, but we get the Spider-Man we want. Yeah, not the one that we deserve. <laughs> Thank God. But weirdly enough, I want to see all three Spider-Man in this. I'm kind of excited for it. Three generations of Spider-Man, as Tom Holland put it. <laughs> 
Okay, we got Carl here. Hey, how's it going? So now we've had six days to think about it, process it, have the internet do what it does with it. Uh, I was talking about being very sure that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire were in this based off of that still with the construction site. Then it was pointed out that the lizard is leaping forward and then suddenly snaps back as if being punched. It's really just his head that snaps to the side too. I was watching it because there was a counter argument that there's Doctor Strange was creating a magical wall that the lizard was crashing into. But the way the lizard is leaping, his forearms would also hit an invisible wall and his arms don't move, just his head. Yeah. As though he's being kicked in the head. But coupled with everything else, I just feel like it's further evidence that I I think for sure they're in this movie. It's also important to note that this the trailer where this happened was a trailer that was released in Brazil and it was not the same trailer that we got in America. It was made by different people and they took it down but the internet had already done its the done dirty its thing work. yeah and archived it and everything so it was too late but <clears throat> it was like a shoddy not to discount the work that they do in these other companies they're just probably under way harsher deadlines <laughs> right yeah and less budget they do it for practically nothing in these other countries poor guys It's also interesting that the way the internet ran with it, I always enjoy that stuff. Like somebody took a picture of a Randy Macho Man Savage as a bone saw. Oh, yeah. Coming up and punching him. And he's just like, bone saw. After he hits him. I love bone saw. (laughs) Man, R.I.P. Randy Savage. He was a character. He was one of the great, one of the wrestling greats, truly. Yeah. Nothing but love for him, for sure, dude. He always made me laugh as a kid and then made me laugh for completely different reasons as an adult once you realize like how coked out he was <laughs> when he was doing all of this uh, just so much fun to to pretend to do an impression i my throat hurts right now so i'm not gonna try yeah it really you gotta give it your all did anything stick out for you from the trailer i thought that it was pretty interesting the suit that has all the like magical looking emblems on it and stuff. There are other crazy details to it. Like in one's Are we talking about Spider-Man suit? Yeah. Spider-Man at one point has like a suit that looks like it's been inscribed with magical runes or something. Are you talking about the black suit? Yeah. Yeah. There's like glowing stuff all along it that look like rune kind of like Doctor Strange magic stuff. Yeah, at first but I then, thought it was like a Spider-Man 3 callback, like Venom there's suit. There's a close-up but... of his chest that has an iPhone. Is like It's like they took the suit and they turned it inside out so that all the electrical stuff is on the outside. And they have like an iPhone wired into the chest. And you can see MJ and Ned, like they're like a GoPro. They're watching with a FaceTime or something. They're watching what he's doing from a distance. And then it just looks really like kind of nicely crude and handmade like on the fly. Like they had to do something cool to it. Yeah. And so I'm looking forward to the story behind that, how that all comes together. Do we think Dr. Octopus is a villain or a hero in this or both? If he's the same one that he was in the Toby Maguire, then he is both. That's what it I feel depends like on too. who's it, it depends on whether or not the inhibitor chip is functioning properly. Yes, that's what I'm thinking too, because he seems like he's palling around with them at that one part. There's a good chance he trailer. will initially be a villain. Although or that he'll initially be good because at the end of two he had returned to goodness. And he may start out good and then the arms might take over in the second half and turn him bad again. 
Yeah, I'm wondering and that. And he might too. go out as a villain, or he might do. He'll probably toggle between. Might, I bet. Yeah, we'll see. And who knows? Maybe he will pre- be pretending to be one while he is the other as well. So there's always the chance that he could be faking out. Yeah, the double fake, triple fake. Now, Tom Holland gave an interview for GQ that was worth reading for this discussion, I think. And there's a couple of things that people are pulling out. I did not realize I talked about this with Brandon earlier, but apparently they switched the order of Doctor Strange and Spider-Man. And so they had to rewrite the end of Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, which is why they're doing so many reshoots on Doctor Strange. And they were flipping on pages while they were doing Spider-Man. Like the director half the time didn't even know what he was doing. He knew the shot he was setting up, but they were still writing material as they were going. This actually looks kind of troublesome. Like when I hear that, like it was basically Sony saying, we're not going to give up this Christmas date because you decided to push back movies like we're going to keep it. And so it just created this fucking chaos man why would sony do that i, I get it for the <laughs> money end of it but i feel like you can make just as much money invested. in february as you could in they're not invested time. in this like kevin feige is kevin feige is not just doing this because he wants money i mean he's i'm sure he appreciates the money but i think he's got this vision kevin feige has a plan and he's trying his best to like make his plan work and when you look at the suggestions he made it's like oh so everything he suggested would have fucking made this movie good i would maintain at least they came around (laughs) because that deal happens because feige makes the offer right and amy pascal's upset at first but then realizes she's right and then they get their lawyers together and they make the deal happen right so eventually they listen to him but but now this is a case of like yeah i feel like it's like and i'm not going to put it on amy pascal two steps forward three steps back i think it's overall with sony they just seem like they're obsessed with like we need sony to like do these billion dollar movies like i feel like they're obsessed with it because it's all they got other than electronics like when you strip away the electronics they don't have a lot they just have the spider-man catalog most of their movies don't do those tentpole numbers so i mean and i hate to even push the idea of a monopoly of more disney owning more things but like if the only reason you exist is because you own this property that you bought from another person when they were struggling and now they're thriving and they are clearly the place where it belongs purely from like it's even worse than that, though. They like perspective. other people bought the properties and then Sony went and bought them all to like make a movie in 2002, which was great in 2002. But now we're in 2021 and they're the ones that ultimately call the shots on Spider-Man. And it's, they're, they're the, not great. At they're this. the weakest link. And they're just like being stubborn at this point. You know, it'd be nice if like Marvel could maybe come out from under Disney and they weren't such a monopoly on everything. It'd be nice if Marvel could just do their own thing entirely and be separate. And all of those things. Star Wars should be its own thing again and not be under Disney. Like, let them do all their partnerships and sell their shit. I don't give a fuck about that. I just mean like... I know what you're saying, but I'm way happier with Star Wars under Disney than I was before they I mean, were under Disney. This if I'm is the being thing, honest. but it's Dave Filoni, right? Yeah, who was with so George as long Lucas, as but it was still George Lucas. As calling long as the shots. that dude is in charge of Star Wars, like I'm gonna be very, him. I'm gonna be very real about this, and nerds can come at me if you want. But Clone Wars got infinitely better 
when Disney bought it out because then Filoni was calling all the shots instead of him working under Lucas. What it's about- no offense to George Lucas, but I really feel like he was losing his touch with all of this stuff. Like, he's an older guy. What about Gendy Tartakovsky? I don't know who he's that is. He's the guy that did the Clone Wars when it was... Are you talking about the old the Clone 2D Wars cartoon? Animation. It was fine. It's like there's some enjoyable stuff in there That's for the sure. That's the Samurai Jack guy. Right. And he also just won for best animated something or other for his TV show Primal. That's like a man and his dinosaur. It's completely no dialogue. And it's like a Neolithic man. Is it a Bible thing? No. <laughs> it's gory they like and the, violent. They like the He's push a savage man. Like, it's a savage like the, man in like a savage the, land. And he has They a like to push buddy. the dinosaur and man walk together narrative. That's the only reason I asked. No, this is like, uh, it's brutal, dude. That's called primal and it's very primal. Okay. Um, HBO Max. The other thing with GQ that I kind of pulled out of that Tom Holland interview is he has a level of fame that I would never want. Like, honestly, and (laughs) it seems like he's grappling with it, like trying to grapple with it. And I think he thinks he has control of it. But I'm reading this interview and I'm like, no, dude, you're still too young. You have no idea. Like he's still running off to do all these YouTube things and then feels like he's being used and too much of his life is out there. But it's also like, yeah, that's why stars say no all the time. Like they say no and they very much limit what they do. Yeah. He's getting there. Let me put it this way. Tom Holland was too young when he became super famous to ever be a normal person. And I don't just mean like how people react to him. I mean, it happens like, to a lot of them. Yeah. Like he was 19. Your your brain doesn't even finish forming until you're 23. He's got all of that in the mix now. Like I feel bad for him. Like honestly, I just I just feel bad for him. I don't think anybody should get that famous that young. It's uh it might be the problem with Chevy Chase, honestly. <laughs> or that might be that he was a rich douche as well. You know where uh Scarlett Johansson her first role was? I have no she idea. She was like uh she's like 10. Maybe. And she she played a character on a Conan O'Brien sketch. <laughs> she was like a little girl that supposedly won a spelling contest. And then they have her come on. And then she can't spell anything at all. Like, she's terrible. <laughs> and they're just like, you don't want to spell at all. <laughs> she's like, yes, I can. And they're like, well, spell this word. And then she spells it completely wrong. <laughs> it's kind of a ridiculous Conan sketch. It's like classic. Right. Back in the day. Classic, like, we're setting this up like it's a guest, but it's very clearly the comedic thing between guests. Kind of explains why she married Colin Jost a little bit, though, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Because she's she's got that connection to 31 Rockefeller Center. (laughs) He's keyed in, you think? She just keeps wanting to get back there. Ever since she was on Conan O'Brien, she was like, weird nerds are funny. And <laughs> Do you think she was obsessed with Norm MacDonald at that age? <laughs> I'm trying to think of who would be the Weekend Update host at that time. Oh, yeah. Who was it? Colin Quinn. It's either him or Colin Quinn <laughs> or it's, which is just all kinds of gross, or uh, mm. Dennis Miller, <laughs> Kevin Nealon. <laughs> it's got to be one of those guys. When uh, Macaulay Culkin hosted SNL at the very end, there was uh, his brother Kieran was in a sketch with him. So he was on the stage at the end and they lift up Macaulay Culkin on their shoulders. And you see on the off to the side, because Kieran Culkin just hosted yeah. recently. Cause he's I, on, I was wondering if you're tying that he's in Because uh, he's in Succession. Yes. So they used that to get him on the show. He's fucking good in Succession, and, uh, too. He went to Kevin Nealon and he's like, lift me up, lift me up. You can see him off, can't like way off to the side. And then Kevin Nealon is 
grabs him under the arms and just hoists him up and he's just like starts mugging for the camera and doing poses and <laughs> a little kid. And he was like talked about this was part of his opening monologue. And then he's like ends his opening monologue with like, I only really brought this up because I want people to pick me up again <laughs> at the end of the show. I would love to see Kevin Neal and Fort like coming back to Saturday Night Live and then just like slumping down with this giant shoulders to try and like <laughs> carry this grown man. Yeah, they but, did pick him up at the end of the show too. Chris Red and uh, the other one of the other guys, maybe Keenan, scooped him up, <laughs> just like hoisted him up. Nice, pretty great. So he got his moment. Yeah, it was pretty great. It was a good episode. Uh, this new season's been pretty solid. They uh, got a team of writers that do YouTube stuff called the Human Giant, I think, something like that, or maybe that's the old group that Kyle Mooney was part of. This is. Uh, I think the Human Giant was like Paul Shear and uh, Rob Hubel's. Oh, thing. I think you're right. I think you're right. I don't remember what this new group is called. Um, they were, oh, uh, please don't destroy. That's what they're called. That's what they were on YouTube. And three of them got hired as writers. And then, uh, one of the three is a featured member and they do their digital videos, a la old school, lonely Island stuff, but not as much music videos. Like they're still doing music videos, but those always have like Chris Red or Pete Davidson are involved. Pete Davidson's kind of doing the music videos now and they're, they're pretty solid, you know, not my style music, but the parodies are usually on point. The jokes are good. So that's all that really matters. Like their squid game song was good. It's like a kind of like a modern, postmodern country techno thing <laughs> about being in the squid game. And then he wins the squid game and has all this money and then he loses it because he bets it all on the Jets. <laughs> <laughs> and so he winds up back in the squid game and like all the employees are laughing at him because he's there twice. <laughs> it's a pretty good joke. So we watched Hit Monkey. Yeah, Hulu. So I saw the first two episodes, so I got a kind of a, a window into what this series is. And it seems like your observations are pretty in check with what I figured they were going for. It's not a show that you'll want to watch if you're interested in long form storytelling where characters change and continuity like a season might end with continuity changing like it's basically the every episode is pretty much the same thing the ghost and and the monkey the ghost and the monkey are we've talked about this on previous episodes i feel like we don't have to set up the premise it's exactly what they set up in the the trailers for it yeah and the ghost is archer and he never stops talking and he keeps being archer all the time only he can't interact with anything and the monkey is like doing all the heavy lifting of like emotionally growing and going through all these things it's like you're watching the monkey show that a show that's just about a monkey but there's this guy <laughs> who's chattering in the who background won't shut up <laughs> And he just keeps talking. I keep thinking about Ken Marino's character in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He's like this completely incompetent police captain who just fails upwards. And at one point, 
they're trying to overmine him, like get him promoted out so he's no longer their captain and they don't have to deal with him anymore. And they don't want to like ruin his career because they'd feel bad. So they're trying to like get him this big bust and give him all the credit so he gets promoted out in a way. And they're doing a drug bust and they've got him in the van and they've got earpieces, you know, they're wearing wires and they can hear him. And he can't stop chattering about things and being like, I just saw a lady walking down the street with a dog. Is that a threat? Is that a threat? Cough once for yes, twice for no. And then they're like, cough. And he's like, was that one cough or two coughs? Cough once for yes, twice for no. <laughs> Which like is obviously setting up a loop. But like they can't talk back to him. Right. Because they're trying not to blow their cover. And eventually they do just start yelling, shut up. Shut the fuck up. You know, like, just stop talking. Stop talking. I want the ghost to stop talking in the same way that they want Ken Marino to stop talking. And it feels like you almost have to have the ghost there because otherwise, where does your dialogue come from? Right. Right. I mean, when the monkey talks to other monkeys, they give you subtitles. Yeah. But when the monkey is talking to the ghost, they don't give you subtitles. So everything that the monkey is thinking it's through reaction through him responding yeah and man jason sudeikis he's trying he's doing an archer thing but he's no john benjamin let's be real with this show the same way i felt with modok which i enjoyed modok i know i was the only one but uh (laughs) these shows were dead on arrival they weren't announced as dead on arrival but once marvel bought out fox the writing was on the wall. Like these shows were already in production, so they finished them. But I don't think unless they wind up being giant hits, Marvel's really thinking about them very much. You know yeah. what I mean? Like if if this show winds up really, really overtaking Hulu, which I doubt it because I haven't heard anybody talking about it outside of Yumi and Brandon. Um, yeah. It just seems like there's not a big groundswell around the show, which tells me that means like this show's just not going to continue. Even if it does decent numbers, it has to do spectacular numbers to and have And I'm Marvel. glad it exists. Like it's fun to have these random little one-offs where it's like, hey, they took a swing. They tried something. And it took a swing on a character that only had like six issues of Marvel Comics, period. Whether it was good or bad is subjective. It's whether it just didn't get received very well or whatever. I like that one-off season of that show Powerless with the girl from – Yeah, yeah. I liked it too. What's her name? And then like Alan Tudyk and – It's basically people trying to deal with a super-powered world when they're not super-powered. And yeah. they're coming up with things Inventing. to help out the average person dealing with superpower battles. Yeah. Right. Like an inflatable suit for when rubble suddenly like falls on you. But it takes place in the real DC universe where like they talk about these characters like they're like Batman. Like even they you don't get Batman in the show except uh, Adam West does make an appearance in an episode which is badass it was like the last thing he did (laughs) yeah unfortunately but man he'd do anything and i'm sure also his legacy nobody noticed powerless except for you (laughs) yeah he's untouchable like Like you know what's always be the 66 batman you know my favorite and to younger people he'll always be adam mayor west but my favorite part of his legacy was that he once him and Frank Gor- Gorshin, I think is his name, who was the Riddler. I they know, once, I know uh, the story you're going to tell. They, <laughs> they went to a party at Frank Sinatra's house and an orgy broke out. And they thought it'd be funny to 
act like Batman and the Riddler during the orgy, and they got kicked out of the orgy. Now, I heard it was at the Playboy Mansion. Oh, that might have been it. I this, I figure Frank Sinatra was there. It's the same era. Oh, I'm sure he was, yeah. <laughs> Frank Sinatra could have been at the Playboy Mansion at any time of the Playboy Mansion's existence. Like, Frank Sinatra was always relevant during those times, so. Oh, God. Just imagining him playing Batman at an orgy is... Beautiful. You're ruining the vibe, Adam West. <laughs> you poor, sick criminal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got another review here. I want to talk about Wheel of Time. I saw the first two episodes in the first 15 minutes of the third episode. And I only say that to say that I started it when I could. And I got as far as I could into it before we went to record. Because there's currently three episodes up on Amazon. They did the thing where they drop three and then they go week by week. The first episode, I wasn't totally sold. And the second episode, I think I'm going to watch the season. So here's the thing. I've not read the books. I'll just put it out there. There's a good story in here. And I can tell there's a really good story in here. And the acting is very good. Rosamund Pike totally holds it down I do as like the her. center of I the like show. I like her a lot. The other actors who I've never seen before fill out those archetypes good, right? I mean, this kind of stuff, you're really dealing with archetypes over and over again. They find very beautiful scenery where they're running through forests and stuff, like important to fantasy kind of thing. You don't want it to feel like a backlot set or whatever. Like it, it, they're clearly out in the wilderness and they've found some good locations to go. My only problem with the show, but it is a big one, is the special effects are very bad. Like they're very poor. I don't know why you're doing this show if you're not spending money on the special effects. Like that boggles my fucking mind because you're really into it and you're watching it and you're really captured in this world. And then there's CW level CG that suddenly comes out and it pulls me out. Every fucking time. Like, it's unbelievable, dude. They're trying to get across the sea, and there's these creatures that are chasing them, and they're afraid of deep water. And so they go out, and for some reason, the lady's got to create this, like, uh, whirlpool to, like, sink something so that they don't go. And as soon as the whirlpool comes up, it's like, oh, this is, like, Supergirl-era stuff. Like, <laughs> like it, it seriously looks like a villain and Supergirl would have done that. And that's not good, dude. Like, it doesn't match up with everything else in the show. Well, isn't the entire budget of Amazon's video department is going to... Uh, the Lord of the Rings stuff? Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm wondering, too. Is like, like, is here, this... have some crumbs. <laughs> we all gave it to the Lord That's what of I'm wondering. Is like... The one true fantasy franchise... So there's two ways to look at this. One is they're not spending the budget they should on like a big IP that they want to blow up like Game of Thrones because they're spending the money elsewhere. That's one possibility. The other possibility, and this is the one that gets me worried about the Tolkien show they're working on, is like, what if this is passable to them? What if they think this totally works? We can just like pay this team and it'll work. Because if it doesn't feel like a bad calculation when I watch it, it feels like whoever is producing the show is like, yeah, this works. What are you talking about? You know what I mean? And that worries me for the the Tolkien show coming down. But honestly, like this had the opportunity to be like a great show, like a great show if you just have the special effects line up with everything else in the show. But because of that, it feels like dollar store Game of Thrones. However you feel about Game of Thrones, the spectacle is part of it. 
And if you can't pull off the spectacle, we're just not in that era anymore. You could have done this show in the 2000s and people would have fucking loved it and gone crazy for it. But like, it's 2021, man. Our movies are our TV shows now, you know? And we're watching this shit at home and you have to put that money on the screen if you want to like get that zeitgeisty show. And I think that they feel like this could be a zeitgeisty show, but it's going to turn off people right away. Like, honestly, I think a lot of people are going to watch it who would have gotten sucked in and they're going to see like the second or third special effect and they're just going to be like, ah, this is fucking bullshit and turn it off. I'm willing to like suffer through it because I, I feel like it's a pretty good story. Like everything else I said, it, like everything is pretty much up to snuff. It's just those special effects are so rotten. I also question the song choice a little bit at certain moments, but was I can Michael overlook Jackson? that. <laughs> it was not Michael Jackson. That was a discussion we we're having about how it's impossible to escape Michael Jackson in pop culture. But no, they just occasionally pick a modern song. And I'm like, this doesn't really feel like the show you're doing. You know what I mean? Like they'll do something that's got almost like a uh, kind of 90s style alternative, like wrong, 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 wrong thing like, with like a beat. They're burying somebody a lot. And they start going, I'm the man in the box. No, no Alice in Chains during this medieval fantasy death scene. Fuck you. Yeah. And it's it's definitely like 2021 spins on 90s alt stuff. But that's a little bit. Some of the song choices are that. And most of it is classical and it works. And then every time they go into one of those song choices, I'm like, eh. But it's not that bad. It's not bad enough where it like irritates the fuck out of me the special effects irritate the fuck out of me. all right all right so i do have a an announcement of i guess of sorts to make which is that there has now been a new addition to the uh, character archetype tropes okay and it's the male version of the manic pixie dream girl which is like uh your zoe deschanel's new girls and whatnot scarlett uh, johansson for a certain point of her career yeah um, and this comes from a tweet from at Yeehaw underscore Meg. <laughs> so I want her to have the credit. I was thinking like you should give the person credit. But then when I heard at Yeehaw Meg, I was like, oh, I regret thinking that. Sure. That's her name. <laughs> Yeehaw Meg. That's her name. And her tweet says, Pete Davidson, Travis Barker, and Machine Gun Kelly are the manic pixie dream girl of men. The chaos goblin line cook. <laughs> and, oh my God, if that's not the most perfect fucking description that I've ever heard in my entire life of that type of guy. Yeah. It's no. perfect. I know guys in real life that I would describe as that. You know what really makes it goblin You know what makes it an cook. apt description oh. too is the manic pixie dream girl. I've noticed when women watch those characters, they're like, why would he ever want to be with her? Yeah. You know, and guys see it immediately why they would want it when they're yeah. watching it. But women are just like, what the fuck? Like, I feel the same way about all three of those guys you just listed. <laughs> and yet I know so many women who are like crush on them hard. Like my own daughter, so hard for Pete Davidson. Won't say that, but like it's very, very obvious the way <laughs> in which she saw Pete Davidson once and then just dove into everything he ever did. It's it's pretty obvious. <laughs> so what is it? Chaotic guy. Goblin chaos, line cook. Chaos goblin line cook. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Tell everybody. 
Chaos Goblin Line Cook. They have to look sensitive, but actually not act sensitive, right? They have to look like they're on drugs. And they have and to they have, have tattoos to be very tattooed. That was the thing I was Lots thinking. Lots of tattoos. Like not a few. Inappropriate. Like, like sleeves. Sleeves. Not one, two Up sleeves. the neck, maybe one on the face, maybe one. Absolutely, on the face. yeah. Uh, depends on. And like. Piercings. Gotta yeah, have just like, and then like, uh, just kind of a slackery attitude of, towards life. Their main thing in life is to play Call of Duty I think and occasionally that, take pills. Like, I think go this, somewhere to uh, get pills sprang and then from. Play Call of I think Duty. this sprang from, and they smoke a lot of weed. They always have weed. That's an important thing. They probably need a ride. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I they think definitely is, need a ride. Yeah, which is not like a point necessarily against them in my book because I need a ride. <laughs> Right. <laughs> These days, uh, but uh, like they're not bad guys necessarily. They don't look like good guys. They look like trouble. I don't know a lot about Machine Gun Kelly, but I don't like him just specifically so was... off of the fact that he took Sylvester Stallone's name from Death Race. <laughs> yeah. Like 2000. There's a I meme. That. That and he had... probably took it from the Paul W.S. Anderson movie, right? So like, I has picture... no idea of the original yeah, movie. Yeah, he doesn't even know that there was this Death Race 2000. He's like, yeah, I took my name from the character that uh, 50 Cent played. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sylvester Stallone did. wait Sylvester Stallone he was he was Machine Gun Kelly but he's like a who he's was, like a 20s gangster the way that they set him up Frankenstein Frankenstein was um, David Carradine oh right yeah he's the main <laughs> character just wears a mask look like he's all fucked up and then he takes off the mask and I he's think just a normal dude where the chaos goblin the line cook part I think where that comes from other than the fact that that is a look that a lot of line cooks have uh, <laughs> yeah 100% <laughs> but also, like, there was an earlier meme. It was the picture of Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly. And then I think it was Chloe Kardashian and Travis Bark, right? And the caption was, when the wait staff dates the line cook. I've worked at a bunch of restaurants back in the day. And the grungy ass line cook dude that was, like, in charge of his fucking space and, like, kind of strutting around arrogant as fuck. And, like, it's like, we're all looking at him like, dude, this a fucking, we work at the fucking at a dive bar, you know? It's, it's always a dude who will then turn around and put the, a picture of that on Instagram though, right? Yeah, like he'll then, never uh, interact with anybody on, on social media, but he'll take the picture of the dish and put it on Instagram. And then like they start dating like the one of the servers or they go through the servers one by one. They it's the second. Prey thing. on the hosts. Yeah. Hostess girls when they're too young. Waiting was surprisingly accurate of a movie. Fucking dumbass dishwashers getting that's the one with high the, off of whipped cream in the cooler. That's the one with the dog semen, right? No, that's Van Wilder. Oh. Waiting there was, is the was one. There was a pubic hair on a food or something. Yeah. It's, there was something like that where I just like, I walked in while my roommate was watching it and I'm like, I'm never fucking watching this there's movie. There's a Karen before Karens existed. The woman that is like. Oh, they always existed complaining since the beginning about of time. The, yeah, but I mean, this is <laughs> before like. Before it was identified. The, this is like one that is like, if a person today watched Waiting, they'd be like, so this Karen. Right. Because I feel like yeah. I became aware of the term Karen maybe like two, three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So she bitches about the food and it's like, make sense of back. And there's like eight cooks and like, uh, I think Louise Guzman's one of them too. It's like Dane Cook, Louise Guzman, a couple other randos. 
and they take turns doing disgusting fucking things to this food. It's yeah, the worst. That was the part and I walked in on, and I was just like, I'm never watching this. As movie. a member of many kitchen staffs, like that's something that I find abhorrent. Me too. And I I don't like threatening people's food, even like not don't even say you're gonna do something to Dude, it. Dude, you, you you've know? worked at the cafe I work at. Like, if somebody's really, really horrible, what do we ultimately do? Just kick them out. Yeah, we like, just say, I, get I out. say, yeah, this is a small leave. space. You can like, leave. Like, <laughs> this is not a big place. You, we the, don't have room for you to be an asshole. But <laughs> I feel like I, I'm gonna say this to all you like uh, chaos goblin line cooks out there. Don't you be have that no right guy. to fuck with their yeah, food. Yeah, don't be that. Guy. You are actually worse than the person complaining when you do that because like you're taking something you do as a living and you're perverting it on All top of being an asshole. you make yourself look bad. Yeah. So it just don't, reflects, and you make yeah. everybody look bad. Like you fucking put a stain on the place for perpetuity at that point. Like if that gets out that you did something like that, that never goes away. Like if the place somehow stays open, that rumor just keeps going and going and going in perpetuity. It always goes. Like you're a fucking asshole if you do that stuff. Kick them the fuck out. That's the easiest thing to do. Like, kick them out. They don't deserve to be in there and serve food. Like, I get that. I don't get the fucking with people's food. Like, Yeah, plus if they figure it out, then you're fucked. You're all fucked. Mm -hmm. All you all are just, like, so fucked. Because they'll come down on you hard in the backlash against a restaurant for doing something like that. We had a Burger King here once and a kid supposedly put pubic hair on a cop's burger. And that fucking Burger King is gone. (laughs) Can't be real about that one, though. No. Because I did. Thanks for coming to listen to their podcast. I, I That's did. all she wrote. No. I did work Don't at you that dare. Burger King. Don't you dare. No, Don't that you guy, dare. That guy. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. <laughs> if you're going to fucking talk about this, if you're going to fucking add in the real story, you're doing it with me not here. No, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know the real story behind so that. So that's all there is to it. But I know backdrop behind it that might illuminate that Burger King being closed. I worked there too. And <laughs> let's just not talk about it. I worked there multiple times. I was on probation. You know what? Fuck that place. I was in the pre-release once when I worked there. <laughs> okay. It was my first job out of high school was working at that Burger King. I mean, it was always reliable. I could go in there and get a job if I needed one. So I was you like... You can still go into any of them and get a job. Like, it's not a hard Especially thing. if you're in the pre-release. They, they oh, like pre-releasers. Off the street, dude. Like, especially right now. They're so, so short on employees. Like, every Everybody. fast food restaurant. Nobody wants to work anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's true and untrue depending on the person. <laughs> but I'm dealing with people on my couch. So. Yeah, couchers. <laughs> he sleeps on the couch. He's a coucher. So you were talking about Louise Guzman earlier. I just wanted to quickly plug out. We've got a Louise Guzman on the feed right now uh, for Boogie Nights. Like we talked about Boogie Nights, which I think is an underrated classic. Is that Cosmic Void? Yes, a Cosmic Void. Boogie Nights? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to throw that out there. But then something else that I wanted to talk to you about, which is only tangentially related to pop culture, but uh, Real War Project came out uh, this week and they're doing an episode on The Big Parade, which is an old silent film. But they're talking about things around World War One while they're talking about it. And just in conversation, they brought up that famous story of when it was Christmas time in the trench and both sides were celebrating and then they came out of the trench and they celebrated together. Yeah. And... They were bringing up that story to talk about how their supervisors then turned around and, like, kind of 
thrashed them like on both sides. It, it's the story that's like it's used to show like the humanity and and war, like despite war. And movies love to do this is like interject things like that. But I was thinking about that very story because I first heard that when I was I want to say like maybe ten years old. I think I saw it in like a sixty minutes thing, and I remember seeing that and being like, "Huh, that's a funny story." Because I knew like soldiers were supposed to go after each other, and that's all I really thought about it. And then like my teenage years and my twenties. I remember hearing that story again and then just thinking like, wow, that's kind of great because like you get this glimpse of humanity, you know, that's like trapped within it. But I don't know if it's just my age or not, but I hear that story now. And the thing that immediately sticks out to me is like they go back to killing each other the next day. Like we get this never ending war because like that seems to be part of the nature of humans is we can have those moments and compartmentalize it. But then we're just going to go and pick up our guns and like snipe at each other. And uh, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Like, have you ever heard that story before? Yeah, it uh, it sounds to me like uh, propaganda. <laughs> like, what is it supposed to show that? In the middle of wartime, we can stop doing our jobs for one day because, like, at the end of the day, it, wars aren't fought by people who are filled with hate and rage towards one another, the other side. They're fought by people doing their jobs, protecting their nation or protecting their nation's interests. And it doesn't do any good to become, like, a bloodthirsty rage machine because then you'd not acting controlled and you're not going to get the mission accomplished. You have to become dispassionate and separate yourself from emotions and just be a cog. And like, it's just as easy to not shoot something when the mission doesn't call for it as it is to shoot something when the mission does call for it. Like, yeah, it seems easy to switch gears from like soldier to Christian. <laughs> it's easy. Yeah. They're very similar. It's like you're one gear away, like, tink, tink, you know, you just shift over, shift right back, bang, bang, bang. Like, you know, first we'll celebrate life for Jesus and then we'll kill each other and probably in our heads doing it for Jesus too, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> the motivation never changes, just the, just the mission itself. And it's interesting how you talked about how, you know, you have to be dispassionate when you do it. They were actually talking about it in that episode of The Real War Project about how there's a scene where this guy's dead that uh, the main character runs across and it's one of his soldiers, but he just seems disgusted by it. Like, just absolutely disgusted. And uh, and they're talking about how they don't go to these great lengths to show humanity and war in this particular movie. And I just, like, I feel like this podcast is really, really good. Like, I think anybody listening to this would benefit from listening to theirs because we're joking on shit. You know what I mean? We're having a good time and occasionally we let opinions slip out that mean something. But they've got an overall goal in mind. And I think you can tell that goal when you listen to it. But a big part of it is educating. And so I just highly recommend checking out The Real War Project. There's like three episodes up right now. They're lengthy, too. They're like two to two and a half hours on each movie. And so... They're actually like getting very in depth and having very detailed conversations and they don't always agree with each other, <laughs> which is fun to listen to, too, when you hear a two hour conversation in real time where they're just like they're not agreeing with each other, but they're listening respectfully and bringing up points. So I would definitely go check that out. A few years ago, Dr. Demento donated the O from his name 
got rid of it and gave it to Weird Al and became Dr. Dement. And Weird Al became Weirdo Al. But he never really, he squandered the gift given to him by Dr. Dement. <laughs> and so he decided to, to pay it forward. And he has now donated the O to Paul F. Tompkins, who is now Paul of Tompkins. <laughs> And uh, he made that announcement uh, on Weird Al made that announcement on Comedy Bang Bang this last week, uh, and I just figured I'd spread help spread the word. How does Paul of Tompkins feel about this? Was he just told that um, he was given it, or he like I'm wondering if this is like a white po- elephant? He was thing. not on the podcast <laughs> that day, uh, but by the time the podcast episode aired, like. Shortly after it aired, his Twitter handle changed to reflect that in his name on Twitter. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Like, not his Twitter handle, but, like, his name on the thing. Yeah. Uh, He just put an O in there. Uh, So he's taken the O with, I'm sure, great glee... We'll take much better care of it than Weirdo Al did. They, well, and he they they were debating on where he should put the O in his name. They were like, should he be Paolo F. Tompkins? <laughs> they're like, no. <laughs> I like Paul of Tompkins. <laughs> it's genius. Or Paul, Paul F. Tom- o. Tompkins. <laughs> yeah. Paul F. O. Tompkins. Paul F. F. Tompkins. Paul F. Tompkins. Paul. Yeah. Anyways, that's an exciting <laughs> new uh development in the world i suppose (laughs) we're gonna talk about ghostbusters next week take it easy please rate review and subscribe to the show follow us on instagram at redwood underscore sound underscore labs facebook at facebook.com slash redwood sound labs or email us at not network at gmail.com not safer network was created by carl borneman brandon beardsley and alex small produced by alex small A podcast about the narrative and effective politics of war movies and their productions, too. Charles Horgan and Aaron Donaldson bring you a brand new podcast, The Real War Project. Dip in and out of subjects with Lauren and Sarah's irreverent points of view with the hilarious podcast, Dippers. Catch up with the week's pop culture news as well as reviews of new movies and shows, not to mention the occasional interview with Carl, Brandon, and Biggs on Not Safe for Network. Wrestlers wrestle, but sometimes they make movies too. This podcast lets you know how they do. Listen to Eric and Connor in all three seasons of Movies with Wrestlers. One by one, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies and some wretched ones too in the podcast you can't miss, A Cosmic Void. 